Before we open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, on earth your Son reminded us of your truth, that it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we pray that you would feed us now with your word incarnate, our Lord Jesus Christ, and give us life in him by his Spirit, for we pray in his name, amen. Please be seated. Would you please turn with me in God's word to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, on many of the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 1283. Hebrews is towards the end of the Old Test, or the New Testament, <laughs> New Testament, uh, towards the end of the New Testament between Philemon and James. And we want to look at just the first six verses of uh, Hebrews 11 together and really focus our attention on verses 4 through 6, uh, but to remind us of the context of how this passage comes, we want to begin our reading at verse 1 and read through verse 6. So Hebrews chapter 11, beginning our reading at verse 1, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Thus far, the reading of God's Word, may He bless it to us. Uh, We wanted to uh, come back to finish off our consideration of Lord's Day 33, um, in part because it's a really a crucial question Uh, That question 91 asks, uh, what are good works? Uh, Question 90 wonderfully talked about what it means to rise to the new self, rise to the new life, what that consists of. And it consists of, as we confessed, wholeheartedly joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. Maybe you've had occasions before to to ask, what is God's will for my life? Or maybe someone has asked you, what is God's will for my life? And tried to help them answer that question. There are many different ways we might answer that question. But one of the ways we can answer it here in the catechism is to say, God's will for our lives is to do good work. To do every kind of good work out of gratitude for what He has done for us. Um, And of course, if the catechism says that should be our goal... That should be what we should be living for. That's what we should be desiring as Christians to do every kind of good work. Then the million-dollar question is, what are good works? Uh, What do we mean by that? What what should we be doing with our lives? That's what makes question 91 such a vitally important question. Uh, But what are good works? And the answer, of course, is only those which are done out of true faith, conform to God's law, and are done for His glory not those that are based on our own opinion 
or on human tradition. God's word alone defines what good works are. And Hebrews eleven four through 6 is a particularly good way for us to look at how good works flowed out of the lives of the saints. Part of that cloud of witnesses that the author of Hebrews gives us to look at and to meditate on as we consider faith and its fruit. And so we want to think about particularly the lives of Abel and Enoch and what they tell us and how it helps us to see the root of good works the rule of good works, and the reason for good works. And that's how we want to think about this passage in connection with question 91 together. The root of good works, the rule of good works, and the reason for good works. Uh, The root of our good works is so vitally explained here in the lives of these saints. And our passage makes it crystal clear that the, the crucial point that the author of Hebrews wants to drive home is that Faith has to be the root of all good works. If we look at the lives of the saints, if we look at the lives of people who did great things in service of the Lord, the cloud of witnesses that are presented to us here, they did what they did by faith. And right here at the beginning of this cloud of witnesses, we have this important statement in verse 6, that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Or to put it in a positive sense, uh, faith has to be at the root of pleasing God. Faith has to be the thing that we have that's necessary for us if we are to please God with our lives. It's by faith that these people please the Lord and receive their commendation from Him, uh, receive their approval from him. Faith is that root. Faith is that source. And it's important how these men are described to us. They are described as accomplishing all they accomplished by faith. Uh, that is the most important thing to know about them. That it was by faith that they did what they did. Faith was the root, it was the source of everything that flowed from these godly men. Um, And it's important for us to understand that because as we've taken pains to say over and over again, we want to understand that we are justified before the Lord apart from works, only by grace through faith in the merits of Christ. He's the one who earns salvation for us. We are justified by Him. We don't contribute anything to our right standing before God. But of course, if anyone would come along and say, well, then don't, you don't have any place for good works in your, in your religion, we would say, no, we always say good works flow from faith. We're not justified by our work. We're justified by grace through faith, but that faith never remains alone. It always works, and we've been talking about that as we've gotten into the gratitude section. Uh, works are always present, but they always flow from faith. And we're not justified by faith and our works. We're justified by faith alone, but that faith never remains alone but works. Now, maybe it seems like I'm belaboring that point too much, but this is a fundamental misunderstanding that's all over the place. Um, In fact, in Roman Catholicism, it's reversed such that you have to work to justify yourself. Uh, Really, faith is is a part of your justification, but you really need to justify yourself by sanctifying yourself. So these things can be very confusing and get very confused in their presentation, but God's Word is being crystal clear here. It was by faith that these men were right with God, and everything flowed out of that. 
Faith was the root, the source, the starting point of everything they did, and everything else flowed from that. And it's true for all of the saints in this whole passage, all of the saints that are included in this great cloud of witnesses. Uh, John Calvin rightly said, the whole purpose of this chapter is to show that however excellent were the works of the saints, it was from faith they derived their value. Their works derive their value from their faith, derive their value, their worthiness, and all their excellencies, and hence follows that the fathers pleased God by faith alone. Everything flowed from it. It was the root. It was the source. How do we see that in the lives of Abel and Enoch? Um, Well, look at what verse 4 says about Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. Um, The faith of Abel was made manifest in his worship. Uh, that's, that's the work that flowed from his faith that God directs our attention to, his worship. Abel is remembered here for offering a better sacrifice than his brother. Um, and it's wonderful how the New Testament helps to explain questions that arise to us out of the Old Testament. Because so often people have looked and said, well, you know, Cain brought some of what he did to the Lord, and Abel brought some of what he did to the Lord, and the Lord accepted what Abel brought, and he didn't accept what Cain brought. Why? What was wrong with Cain's offering? Notice how the writer of Hebrews tells us here why Abel offered an acceptable sacrifice and Cain didn't. What made Abel's sacrifice a better sacrifice? It's this, it proceeded from faith. Um, Abel brought his sacrifice in faith. Um, That's what made it more acceptable. That's what made it better in God's sight because he offered it by faith. And for that faith, God commended him as righteous by accepting that sacrifice. Now, that's the point that's being driven home in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Now, ESV has through which, which is the right literal translation of what happens here. The problem is you, you're left asking the question, through what? Right, look, at, look at verse 4 again. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Right? Th- that, could be two, that could be understood two different ways. It could be through his faith he was commended as righteous, or through his sacrifice he was commended as righteous. So, through which means through what? Um, See, these are the important things that you actually do sometimes get out of studying the Greek, because the Greek makes it much more clear. It's through faith he was commended. Listen to how the NIV translates this really helpfully. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. The through which here refers to his faith. Um, We could just insert faith there and say, through which faith he was commended as righteous. It wasn't the sacrifice that God commended. It was the faith that he commended that was the source of the work he did. And God showed that he approved of his faith 
by accepting his work. He showed that he approved of his faith by accepting his sacrifice. It was the the faith that caused that sacrifice to be offered in a way that was pleasing to God. You see how faith then operates as the root, the work, the source, the root and source of that work from which it flows? He pleased God by his faith. The same thing is true of Enoch. The account we have here of the faith of Enoch is similar to the account of faith. He's remembered first for his faith. Right? By faith, verse 5 tells us, was Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Again, faith is the source of his work. And the pleasing God is what he did. It's, it's the good work that flowed from That faith, Uh, you might remember a a few weeks ago in Sunday school, Reverend Tedrick was going through those generations in Genesis 5 and reminding us of that sad litany of sin's consequences. And this person was born and he lived so long and he died. And he died. And he died. And he died. That's the litany that's just over and over again until we get to Enoch in Genesis 5, 24. And what do we read about him? Not that he died but that he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He was translated out of this world. And why was he translated out of this world? Um, If you say because he walked with God, you get partial credit. He was translated out of this world because of his faith. It was the faith that produced the walking with God. Uh, the, the Greek equivalent of that, that, that phrase in, uh, in Hebrew that's walked with God is he pleased God. He, he's just saying the same thing here that he, was said of him in Genesis. This is what his life was like. And why was his life like that? Because of faith. The order here is so important. Right? By faith, he was taken up so that he shouldn't see death, and he was found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. But the order is important. The faith comes first. The sign of the approval was that God said he'd walked with him. And how did God show his approval of Enoch's faith? He took him out of this life. He translated him out of this world into glory. It's a wonderful thing that, he, that is described to us here. A man who walked with God, who pleased God, so much so that God took him out of this life. That was the life that his faith produced. It's a wonderful way to begin the cloud of witnesses with these two individuals. Because what is the author of Hebrews communicating to us right here at the beginning? It doesn't really matter in the end how your life ends. The crucial thing is, do you believe in God? Do you have faith? Right? These two people couldn't be more different in in a certain sense. Right? Think of the end to which Abel came. His life cruelly cut short, murdered by his brother. 
the first murder victim in human history. And Enoch, who's one of the only two people we know in all of Scripture who was translated out of this life into glory without tasting death. The other one's Elijah, if you're playing at home and can't remember. But, you know, he was swept up in the fiery chariots. But they're the only two people who are just translated out of this life. And so here, right at the beginning, what do we have? Someone who by faith lived but was cruelly cut down in this life. And someone who lived by faith and was translated out of the reach of this life's worst enemy. And the thing that's so different about them in their outcome, the same thing is said of them by God in terms of their lives. What was the most important thing to know about these men? They lived by faith. And the author of Hebrews is telling us right here at the beginning that that's the most important thing. That's the most important thing And that enables Case, even though he was the victim of a violent murder, what is the last word about Abel? It's faith. When he was murdered and God came to his brother trying to elicit a confession from him, saying, where is your brother? The way he came to their father and said, Adam, where are you? Cain said, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Um, And what did God say to him about what Abel was saying to God? He said, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The word that we associate with Abel from the Old Testament is the word of his blood crying out for justice. Cain, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. For justice. But here he's speaking a different word. It's not his blood that speaks. Crying for justice. Who's speaking here? What does the writer of Hebrews tell us? Look at the second part of verse 4. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. It's not his blood that speaks, it's him that's speaking. It's not his death that's speaking to us, it's his life that's speaking to us. Because Abel still lives. Abel lives in glory with the Lord. Because of Christ, death is not the final word. Even for those who are cruelly cut down in their lives. And that's important for the the cloud of witnesses. Because there are people like Enoch who were taken out of this life. There were people who lived to a ripe old age and died in peace. And there were people like Abel who were murdered. People who were cut down with the sword, who were sawn in two, as the writer of Hebrews will go on about what the saints have suffered. And at the end, the only real question is, did you live by faith? Because those who lived by faith still live in Christ. Enoch and Abel came to the same place. They've come in glory to the heavenly rest that was promised them. They are at rest in Christ because of what Christ did for them. 
And they are awaiting the saints in glory who are awaiting the glorious resurrection when they will be raised together. Um, Everything comes from faith. Everything the saints accomplished sprung from the root of, of faith. All of their good works had faith at its root. But we can also look to the lives of this man and also understand the rule of good works, how, how we understand how we are to please God and to walk with Him. The writer of Hebrews directs our attention to the life of Enoch in that sense, the one who walked with God. Um, and, and how do we understand walking with God or pleasing God in a way that really helps us to understand the rule of good works for the life of the believer? Um, Well, it's that wonderful phrase that comes to us from the Old Testament about how to understand a pious life, how to understand a godly life. And it's a wonderful way of expressing it because it makes it so much more intimate with our God and not harsh. I liked what one person said, if you look at the Old Testament and how it talks about a godly life, it's someone who pleased God. It's not someone who kept rules, right? He was a fastidious rule keeper, right? That, well, great, that sounds lovely. Thank you for that poetic expression, right? He was a, a scrupulous rule keeper. He dotted his I's and he crossed his T's. That, that's kind of a harsh moralism, right? That would be a hard way of speaking about a life lived with God. But how does the New Testament or the Old Testament express it? He lived a life that was pleasing with, to God. He walked with God. Um, That communicates, as one commentator said, the intimacy that is the essence of Old Testament piety, not the harsh moralism popularly associated with it. How does the Old Testament describe someone who lived a pious life? They pleased God. And normally in the Old Testament, that's also expressed by saying, he walked before God. Or he walked after God. That's the general way the Old Testament will talk about a godly life. Here is someone who walked before the Lord. Or here is someone who walked after the Lord. Both are beautiful expressions, aren't they, of the intimacy of a life lived with God. Either living before his face, or as Paul talked about in Galatians, walking in step with God, walking in his footsteps after him. But both of those communicate an intimacy, right? That's not a harsh, like, moral law-keeping. It's a way of saying you're in close communion and fellowship with your God. And one of the interesting things that, that the scholar Gerhardus Voss pointed out was it's, it's oftentimes said in the Old Testament that godly saint walked before God or that godly saint walked after God. It's very rarely said that someone walked with God. That's how close Enoch's connection to God is presented to us here. He's not just someone who walked before God. He's not just someone who walked after God. He walked with God. He walked in such close communion with God, so in step with the Spirit, that you could almost say he walked with God side by side. It's a kind of supernatural communication of a life lived with God, that he walked with him. 
that his faith was such that he walked in a way that pleased the Lord in such close communion with his God that that supernatural life of communion ended with a supernatural being taken out of this life. What does it mean to be taken up, to be translated? I don't know. Um, We can say it, but I don't think we really know what that means. But it was of such a quality of his close communion with God that God took him. He just was not because God took him out of this world. Um, There was something close and connected to that. And although he's unique in that sense, in all of Scripture, for having that kind of description of his life, his life is still instructive for us. By faith, what is pleasing to God became pleasing to Enoch. That he wanted to walk with God. That he was in step, so in step with God. It's a testimony to us of what we've talked about from the Apostle Paul. That the Spirit has the power to work in lives such that it can put to death those old desires and bring to life Christ lived. And it brought it to such life. The Spirit brought such life to Enoch. That his life was characterized by a life Here's one who pleases God. So much so that God wouldn't do without him. Had to bring him up to heaven to be with him. It's the power of what the Holy Spirit can do in life. And if we we look at it that way and say, I want something like that. I mean, I would love to be translated out of this life, whatever that means. Um, I'm not expecting that, Um, but I would love to live a life where God has said, I'm pleased with you. To think of, of walking after God in a way that He looks back and smiles on our life. How do we do that? How do we walk after God? If we want to do that, we have to do what He's told us to do, which is to believe in His Son and then to walk in step with the Spirit. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord has... We don't know what it means to be translated into glory, but the Lord has not left us to guess at what pleases Him. He's told us. I think of what Micah says in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. After sort of saying, what, what can you do for yourself? Could you offer thousands of sacrifices? How about ten thousands of rivers of oil? Are you going to give your firstborn son... For the sin of your soul? You don't have to come up with something to do. He's told you. He's told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The law gives us a guide for holy living. You know, Reverend Cortez beautifully said it this morning when he was reading the law and told us the law is a reflection of God's character. It's a reflection of His beauty. It's a reflection of His holiness. It's not just a bare list of do's and don'ts. It's the key for how do we walk in a way that's pleasing to Him? How do I walk with Him? The law is the rule for good works. Enoch pleased God because by faith he did the things that are pleasing to God, as he's communicated to us 
in His law. Isn't it wonderful we don't have to try to guess at how to please Him? Right? There, there are people sometimes in this life who are desperately trying to win the approval of other people. And there are people that know that and, and play on those desires and can be people that are impossible to please or it's always a moving target and you don't know how to please these people. God is not like that. He's not a God who's trying to hide himself or trying to make it confusing to us. He's told us, you want to know what I find pleasing? It's all right there in my law. My law tells you. Micah says, don't try to go figure it out. He's told you. That was how he presented the law in Leviticus 18, verse 4. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. He's told us. I think Paul picks up on that language in Ephesians 2, verse 10, when he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's why the catechism says, don't get sidetracked with human opinions or human traditions when someone else comes and says, I think God will really find this pleasing. Um, or here's a great tradition, or here's something we can do that God will really find pleasing. We are idol factories. We love coming up with this stuff. Um, you know, that was part of the sad thing about going to Jerusalem and walking through the Christian sector. It's all just junk of people trying to say, this will be pleasing to God. You can buy this, it's pleasing to God. You can go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and do X, Y, and Z, it will be pleasing to God. And you want to say, none of that is pleasing to God. He's not asking for any of that. That's something we've come up with. He's shown you. He showed us His law and said, this is my character. This is what I'm like. If we understand it that way, it makes the law something wonderful and not some duty that we're trying to slavishly obey. Because if it just is for us, dotting I's and crossing T's and just thinking of God as the great power in the sky who can make laws because He can. He's just making these laws because he's got the power to do it, and he's just going to say, you may do this, you may do that, and it's just kind of arbitrary. No, what he's saying is, I alone know what's right. I alone know what's good for you, and when you do what I tell you to do, you walk with me. You walk in a way that's pleasing in my sight. I'm doing these things, I'm telling you these things so that you know my rules, and you know my statutes, and you walk with me. Because at the end of the day, he's the only person it's important to please. Which is something for us to remember in our current cultural day. When people are saying, well, you can't follow that part of the Bible because that makes you a bigot. You can't follow that part of the Bible. That makes you unloving or ununderstanding. They say, yeah, I know that's going to make the world unpleased with me. But I'm not trying to please the world. I'm trying to please the Lord. I'm not trying to walk with this world. Because this world is going nowhere. I'm trying to walk with the Lord. Because there's a destination. That Abel testifies to. And Enoch testifies to. And Moses testifies to. 
and Abraham testifies to, and down the line. We're walking with God. We're doing the things that please Him. That's how the law becomes something wonderful, to capture that sense of intimacy with our God. That when I walk in step with the Spirit, I can see the Lord smiling. I know that He's pleased. And I'm not, not because I'm trying to earn His good pleasure, but because I'm walking in the way that He knows is good for me. And that leads somewhere. That's what Enoch's life testifies to us. We walk with the Lord, we please Him, and we go to be with Him. Um, that's the glory. And how else would we want to walk than in a way that's pleasing to the Lord? And we don't just look to Enoch as the ultimate example. We can think of Jesus Christ coming into the world, perfectly doing the will of his Father. And what was his Father's pronouncement on his life? Here is my dearly loved Son, with whom I am well pleased. How else would we want to walk than according to the rule that God has laid down? And when we understand that, when we understand the root of good works is faith, and the rule of good works is the law of God, um, then we understand also the reason why we do these things. We're not doing them to earn something from God, to try to earn some kind of reward from a God who is somehow going to be withholding otherwise. No, we actually understand the opposite. We are doing these things for the God who has done so much for us. And that's really how the catechism lays it out for us. Good works are only those which are done out of true faith, so they have faith as their root, they conform to God's law, they go according to His rule, and are done for His glory. That's the reason. Why do we do what we do in the Christian life? What is the reason for it? Whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We want to glorify God. If you really want to ask, if you really were to ask Abel and Enoch why they did what they did, they would say to glorify God. To glorify God. Their lives demonstrated they understood the vital truths of verse 6. That without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. If you asked Abel or Enoch why they did what they did when it came to faith or the things that flowed from their faith, they would say to you, do you know God? Do you know who He is? Do you know the God that exists? Right? The God, knowing that God exists is, again, not a bare fact. Or this, you know, generally if you stop people on the street, do you believe in a God? There's a lot of people who say they do. They believe in some kind of spiritual power. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He's talking about the true God. You believe that He exists, the God of the Bible, who's revealed Himself in His Word. Because when you understand who He is, the real God, He exerts a kind of magnetic pull to Himself. Right? When we understand who that God is, the God who truly is, 
When our eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit to understand something of Him, we are drawn to Him. There is a sense in which only the Holy Spirit can really show Him to you. But when God is shown to you by the Holy Spirit, how can you want anything but that God? Right? When Moses says, really let me see your glory, what does he see? What's revealed to him of his God? A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And if you're to say, well, you didn't keep reading because the next part is about how he will in no wise clear the guilty, are you still drawn to that kind of God? And I would say you are when that God says, yes, I can no wise clear the guilty, so I'm going to send my son to take your guilt upon himself so that he can die for it, so it can be paid for, and so it can be cleansed. He's a God who provides the solution to his justice by his son. And his son comes into the world knowing what it's going to cost him and is willing to come anyway so that by his life and by his death and by his resurrection, he can give us his satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness so we can receive the love of God as those who've been cleansed of their guilt and don't need to fear his justice or wrath anymore. That's the God who exists. And you're drawn to him, and what do you find when you come? Right, Abel and Enoch, Abel and Enoch would both say, this is who God is. And you know what else is true about him? He rewards those who seek him. Why did we do what we do? Because by faith we understood who He is and that He rewards those who seek Him. That's who He is as well. What a wonderful God who comes to us and says in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And then in case we think those things are too good to be true, he doubles down on that. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Abel and Enoch would both say, we sought the God who exists, and you know what we found? He's a God who rewards those who seek him. And if you want to know what the reward is, it's him. He is both the reward and the rewarder. He is both the gift and the giver. We sought him and we found him. And we found him to be one who rewards those who seek him. And again, it's so wonderful that both these men are put before us because we can easily see how Enoch received the reward. He was translated out of this life. It's a little different to see how Abel got a reward. You don't hear many aspire to be an able sermons. Come follow the Lord and you may be murdered by a close family member. But what did he find? He still found fellowship with God. He still found rest for his soul. He still found a reward. Not a reward that he had to earn, 
but a reward that was freely given to him by the God whose face he sought. That's who God is. And when we understand that that's what God does for our lives, that's what God does for our souls, I think both Abel and Enoch would say to us, why would you not seek to glorify that God in all you do? If you know him, who he really is, and if you understand that he rewards those who seek him, not in merit for what they've done, but out of the abundance and the storehouse of his grace, how could you not want to glorify that God? How could you not want to make that God known? To bear witness to the glory of who he is and what he's done for our souls. Again, not to earn something from him, but because of what we've received as a reward solely of his grace. And to use our lives then to say, I want to proclaim the excellencies and word and deed of the one who's called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why do I do good works? Because it glorifies his name. Because his character is seen and made known. And that's our hope, that the Holy Spirit would work in us more and more. That we would love and delight to live according to his will by doing every kind of good work. And so the Lord, may the Lord work in all of us that what we do would be done from the root of true faith that would conform to the rule of his holy law and for the reason of giving him the glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the great cloud of witnesses that you've given to us. We thank you particularly for the witnesses of Abel and Enoch in their lives, that although they had very different outcomes in this world, both of their lives testify of their faith, and that by by faith they did things that were pleasing in your sight. And so we pray, Lord, that we would seek to do good works in our lives, good works that are defined as you define them, and that out of faith might spring forth work that conforms to your holy law and is done for your glory, that we may walk with you in a way that's pleasing in your sight. Help us in this by your spirit, we pray, for we ask these things in Jesus' name.